This special episode of The Pickle was recorded live as part of our On The Couch webinar series. To see the video, go to online.rmit.edu.au and head to the blog. My name is Narelle Stepanak. I'm the Growth Director at RMIT Online and I will be your host for today's session and we'll be spending some time with Russell Howcroft who you can also see on your screen. Before we jump to Russell, I might just give you a bit of a bio so you guys all have a bit of background about Russell's experience and where he's come from. Now, through Russell's experiences on the ABC's hugely successful show, The Grew and Transfer, Russell has become a very public face of brand marketing and advertising in Australia. Russell is currently the Chief Creative Officer and a partner at PwC Australia, but this week it was formally announced that Russell will soon be joining Melbourne's number one, and not just Melbourne's, I've heard that it's Australia's number one radio show, the 3AW Breakfast Program, which means he's going to have to get up a little bit earlier to have the company of Ross Stevenson. What so was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> what were you thinking? Um, now, prior to taking on this role with PwC, Russell was Executive General Manager at the 10 Network, one of the most senior executives in the business. And before that, Russell was Chief Executive Officer for Australia and New Zealand at Young Rubicon Brands. He fell in love with the advertising industry after doing some work experience, just a week's worth of work experience while studying uh, his marketing degree at Chisholm Institute, which is now part of the Monash University. And his father actually started in advertising much later in life. He was 45 when he started, I believe. Is that right? Mm, yeah. That's true. That's true. So much later, but you know. Good research, Narelle. That's good. Thank you. <laughs> I do my homework. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. And uh, his background was actually a cartoonist and businessman. So, um, and he was probably the catalyst to really recommending you to come into the industry, which uh, we're all very, very grateful for. Russell is now the chairman or the former chairman of the Advertising Federation of Australia and has been a regular commentator on radio in Melbourne. So hence the, the most recent diversion back into that industry. And Russell's other passion is AFL and he's previously served on the board of the Melbourne Football Club. Wow, <laughs> what a massive bio. I'm very, very jealous of that sort of career and history. Welcome, Russell. Thank you for your time today. Thanks, Narelle. Thank you for having me. Um, and I just see Angela has posted that her father and my father were great mates and she's got some of my dad's work on their walls because he was a pretty good artist as well, cartoonist, but a, yeah, pretty good artist. So thanks for putting that up there, Angela. That's amazing. Thanks, Angela. Look, why don't we start with a really simple question just to get underway. Um, how are you coping just working from home like the rest of us? Yep. And yep. Uh, what haven't you watched on Netflix yet? Well, I've actually, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed working from home. Um, I've enjoyed having an anchor, uh, I, the desk, <laughs> and I've never spent so much time at home. I've, I've literally been on planes. If I said I've been on a plane, every week for the last 30 years. That is an exaggeration, but it's not much of an exaggeration. Um, so I've thoroughly enjoyed just having that sense of being at home, um, getting to know my home, uh, as weird as that might sound, but it's absolutely true. Um, sitting at a desk, feeling organized, not feeling frantic, um, and conducting business. Um, I've, I have genuinely thoroughly enjoyed. Um, the, the difficulty, of course, is that you wake up in your bed, you leave the desk, you go to bed, you wake up, you go to the desk, you leave the desk, you go to bed. So, you know, it, it became the rhythm of that did start to become a little wearing, I have to say. Um, but look, I, I genuinely have enjoyed it. And I have to say it's been the most productive period 
I've probably ever had. Um, and I've um, sort of reflected a lot on um, how positive um, I've felt during this time as well. Sort of, I'm talking about mentally positive. Uh, and of course, there's been time to do exercise as well. So, um, yeah, a lot of bad stuff's going on around the world, but just from little old me, um, I, I've enjoyed myself. Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, split divide. I think the initial stages of working from home, people felt a little bit claustrophobic, but um, yeah. now I'm, I'm actually not really wanting to go back out and socialise again. Yeah, like well, there, there is that, isn't there? But, and, and look, and also, um, look, look, my children are all old. They've all left school. The oldest left school last year. So they're independent. Um, it would be different for sure if I was younger um, and I've got three children at home that need to be homeschooled and, you know, and I'm in a space which is, so my, my, the space I'm in is a, is a family home, but with no family in it. So there's plenty of space for me. My wife was living at, uh, with her mother because her father had just died. So she was um, with him, with her, I should say. So I was, um, I spent a lot of my time by myself, but in quite a lot of space. It would be very, very different if I was younger, three children, and trying to cope with all those, you know, juggling all those balls and spinning all those plates. So I was in a fortunate position just in terms of life stage. Yeah. Well, I'm really sorry to hear that. I wasn't aware that uh, your wife a lovely man. passed away. So um, my condolences to you. I, um, I guess that gives you a lot of time to watch a lot of Netflix as well. So is there anything that you've got queued up that you haven't gotten around to yet? Well, this is the interesting thing, Narelle. You would think that I'd be consuming an enormous amount of media given what I do. I've hardly watched any. I, I, I literally have hardly watched any media at all. I've been enjoying being at work. I've, I've, I've done 12 hour, 14 hour days. I've hardly, I've hardly consumed any media at all, other than the news, plenty of the news. Of course, the news is going continuously. Um, not, nothing Netflix, um, nothing. <laughs> it's sort of weird, isn't it? Wow, all this time and nothing to do. Yeah, all, all this time and just um, sort of obsessively sitting at my desk trying to be productive. Yeah. <laughs> so it actually it probably brings us to one of our more serious questions. And this came up uh, from our audience when they were registering. And um, so we're going to sort of put it out to you, but we're also going to put it out to the audience as well. Uh, right. We're going to raise a poll. So everyone, something's going to pop up on your screen very shortly. Uh, but what we're really wanting to do, and Russell, you don't need to answer the poll. I'd love to hear your, your personal opinion. Yeah, but this okay. one's about how effective brand messages of support, right? So during this time, what are those brand messages of support and how effective are they really um, mm -hmm. right now? Uh, when we think about COVID, we've seen almost every single brand put something out there. We're here for you. Um, that, that sort of compassionate statement. So what place do businesses actually have in that kind of storytelling and what do you think consumers think about it? Like, can they see straight through it? What are your thoughts? Well, of course, brands, many brands are here for us because we need them. So um, a supermarket, for example, um, they are clearly um, something that we need. And we didn't we discover how important they were. Um, and so it's, it's all about the tone of voice, though, in the end, Narelle, isn't it? Um, businesses have got every right to continue to try and sell their, their wares. I think what's most important of all um, is is ensuring that you're promoting your utility. Yeah? So there's no need to over-egg it, over-cook it, and over-maybe empathise, you know? There's, there's no real need for that. It's just like we're in the business of delivery. 
Therefore, Deliveroo, get out there and advertise it. Um, I Personally, I think that advertising has played a massive role in, in the last few months, uh, a massive role in informing us about what's available, what we can do. Um, one of my favourite commercials, actually, during, the, during the, um, COVID was the Westpac commercial with a very, um, you know, simply dressed teller um, informing people how to do home banking. Now, there would have been many people that did not know how to do banking on their mobile phone. So the role of advertising to communicate the utility of that was critical at that time because, of course, we were all stuck at home. So I, without advertising, I would, I would argue, um, how, would, how would I be aware of all the different services and utilities that were available? How you say it, how you sell it, the tone of voice that you use, that's critical as well. Um, but I, I, would, I would imagine that all of us have appreciated a lot of the advertising that we've seen because it's prompted an idea, um, it's prompted an opportunity, it's um, prompted a, um, an opportunity for us to spend money because one of the things that's happened, of course, is that none of us have been spending money. So, uh, as you can tell, I'm into sort of consumerism, right? Yeah, and I think your Westpac example is a really good one. You know, if it's adding value into the conversation and it's yeah. very specific, then it really does have merit and a, a role to play. Um, well, I, I, brands, are, we're surrounded by brands. Brands play a role in our life all day, every day. Um, and it's up to them to, this, to determine how they wish to sell during this period. Some go dark, of course, because they don't think it's appropriate. Um, others lighten up because they think it's absolutely fundamental. Um, so, as I say, supermarkets are an example, but insurance is an example. Banking, the banks have, the banks have done a fantastic job um, in, in right-sizing uh, right a little how we think about them. Um, they've communicated, I think, in the main very well. Yeah, and there's a lot of agreement, I think, with that is if it does have a role to play, if it's there for good, if it has a purpose, um, yeah. that's what people are really connecting to. And if I look at the polls and the results here, and if I hit end polling, it'll probably pop it up on your screen. Yeah. Um, but 62% uh, of people say that it depends on the company. Um, 100%. Yeah. And I think it depends on the, the company and I, I guess their intent, right? Like it's, if you're thinking about... Um, has this company just come out now, so they're being opportunistic versus are they always having a voice in this community? Do they, uh, does their brand represent what they stand for? And is that consistent? Because but, people- But, no, but I've, got, I've, I've, got no, I've got no problem with brands being opportunistic. That's fine, they can do it. And it's up, it's up to the consumer to determine on whether they buy it or not. So we're, we're, we're the ones with all the power. We don't have to give them any money. If we don't like what they're saying, if we don't like what they're doing, then we just ignore them. So opportunistic is good. That's what you should do. You're in business, right? You're in business to make money. And if you're not, if you're not trying to make money, then you're going to be offloading people. So, you know, we need, we need stuff to get moving. So if, if that's by uh, seizing an opportunity, it's up to us to determine whether we want to buy or not. Yeah, and look, there was actually a question previously um, that was around uh, how do you make sure you do that without sounding opportunistic? So what are your thoughts on that so that it, you can actually have that sincerity that comes through your brand? Um, how do you give good thought to that? Well, I would go back to what, what I was saying earlier. I, I think that it's all about utility in these times. Yeah, so there isn't any need to over-reg it. There's no need to just... Um, uh, to show too much empathy in a way or, do, or that sympathetic voice sometimes can be, you know, it does, 
stick in your claw a little when it comes from brands. I, I understand that. So I have no issue with any brand trying to get a sale. Um, the issue is the tone, as I say, the tone of voice that they use to get that sale. And what do you think is going to happen in terms of the flick over to um, the fact that when we're, we're not necessarily in this shock factor anymore, people have come accustomed to how they're going to live, um, what it means for them, how they set up their workspace, their families, their daily lives. They've been working like this for a while. Yeah. They're probably more thinking about moving into the next phase, which is getting back to work, getting back to the norm of whatever that looks like, that next step. Um, how do you actually think about that when you're going from messaging around compassion to uh, recovery or transition? Well, again, again, I think that the brands play a massive role in being helpful. So um, as we're okay transitioning into a different phase, different stages, then how a particular brand fits into that phase is a really important thing. Yeah. Without advertising, how do I know about that? How how am I informed about about that opportunity that the brand is presenting? The advertising is required in order for me to be informed. The other awesome thing that's happened, of course, is that media consumption's gone up. So there is lots of opportunity to see communication. And what we should also, of course, just remind ourselves is that the, the role that, of advertising in government communication. Uh, governments in the different states and obviously federally have done a brilliant job at making sure that we're very clear about what is and isn't appropriate. Again, without the role, without advertising, how the hell would we know that? Like, we're not all watching the six o'clock news or reading the press release from the you know, health minister. So, it's critical that um, advertising is used to inform. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think the government departments have definitely been ramping up their messaging in this space as well. Oh, incredible. Uh, um, an incredible amount of money has been spent by the government informing the public. Um, they obviously have to do that. One thing that you're quite passionate about, Russell, is creativity. And even just the, the thought of, um, whether or not it is an ingrained capability or even a skill that you can develop over time. So we're going to launch another poll because I'd love everybody's opinion on this as well. Um, okay. Do you think uh, creativity is something that you're born with or do you think it is a skill that can be taught and how creative are we as a, as a country? Okay. We are all born creative. There, there is this, well, there's, it's, there's evidence that that's the case. Um, it's quite interesting, I'm the chairman of the Australian Film School and the CEO of Afters, as it's called, Nell Greenwood, she says that what we should do is we should talk about the small C, the professional C and the big C. Um, and the small C is the creativity that every single one of us has got. Um, and then the professional C being those of us that make money out of being creative. And then the big C, of course, is the super freaks. Um, the individuals that just do stuff that finishes up hanging on a gallery wall or um, is at the end of Ben Along Point where Utsun designs a Sydney Opera House. Um, you know, just the incredibly once in a generation, big, beautiful, creative people. The problem that all of us have got is that we get assessed against the big C. So when we're at, when we're at school, um, you know, our parents, our friends, whatever they say, well, you know, she can't draw uh, because they're assessing your drawing next order something they've recently seen at the gallery, right? So we sort of all get, we all get sort of positioned as not being particularly creative, but the truth is we actually all are creative and it does get taught out of us. Um, this is also, um, this is true. Uh, you know, like 
95% of five-year-olds are considered to have genius levels of creativity. By the time they're in year 12, it's like 5%. Uh, and it, it's a disaster because we are um, continuously, I think, at, in our school lives, um, put in the sandpit. If you're that sort of creative person, it's like, will you go over there whilst us serious people get on with business? It's just terrible. Um, you know, and as the STEM argument, you know, evolves, it should evolve into STEAM. Uh, of course, the A being for arts. Um, indeed, in China already, they've gotten, they have gone from STEM to STEAM. Uh, the arts is taught in art and creativity is taught from year one into year 12. Um, it's quite interesting, isn't it? We, we, we really do need to put creativity front and centre in, um, in our society and how we are educated in business, um, we too often, as I say, put that in the sandpit. It's not about it being all about creativity. You do need to have the spread. You do need to have the spreadsheet people too. Um, you know, Utsen's beautiful Sydney Opera House would not have been bought. Uh, sorry, would not have been made if it wasn't for engineers and if it wasn't for lawyers and if it wasn't for uh, accountants. You know, you, you need you need all shapes and all sizes in order to make stuff happen. I just would like to see creativity being more at the centre of um, policy and um, education. I'd, I'd like it to be celebrated more than it currently is. Yeah, and it's such a great point. Um, I think everyone seems to agree with you as well, Russell, um, in mm. that, well, there was a lot of comments around we lose our creativity as we get older, but, um, so we tend to be born with it. But uh, also well, we don't, Of course we don't lose it. We just sort of stop practising it, don't we? You know, and so there'll be lots of people on the on the um, webinar that played a musical instrument when they were at school and then haven't played for, you know, for 5, 10, 15 years. Um, it's sort of crazy, isn't it? Like we do all these amazing things when we're young and, and then it all sort of falls by the wayside. It's just something that we need to re-engage with for certain. Yeah, um, it's a really great point. Um, do you think there's going to be much progress? Because we see organisations investing a lot. I know even through RMIT, one of the most popular courses is design thinking um, and yeah. innovation. So uh, what do you see happening in the commercial landscape that is starting to put pressure back into the schooling system to be able to make that change? Interesting. Um, how much pressure has been put back into the schooling system? Probably not enough. Um, it, it, you're right though, Narelle. I mean, the idea of design thinking um, is permeating business every day, um, even at, so I'm at PwC, as you, as you said, um, and I'm the Chief Creative Officer of PwC, and we have a division of our business called The Difference, and The Difference specialises in design thinking, and it really does unlock people's creativity. It unlocks creativity, creativity that they didn't know that they had, and, and incredible um, ideas are created as a result, and we get the multiplier effect as a result of that. But to answer your question, what pressure is coming from corporates, from business back into the school world around creativity, I'm not sure that there's enough of that. And that's something that we probably should pursue. Great, I'll take it as an action. I'll take yeah. it as yeah. the, um The other thing that it sort of leads me to, because there's a lot of advancements in machine learning and AI. So when you think about storytelling, um, yep. there's sort of this push-pull that's happening right now. There's storytelling in itself, which it seems to be very human centered. And then you have this algorithmic digital marketing <laughs> component, yeah. 
is obviously very machine. So which one do you think will dominate? Which one do you think will happen when we think about written um, AI languages that could actually take over and dominate? What are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, I suppose what I'd say is what I hope will happen. Um, I, what I hope will happen is that they are equally powerful. I don't, we, can't, we can't deny the role of AI and, and the role that it will play. Um, in, in a marketing context, um, machine learning, marketing intelligence, uh, the role of digital marketing, the ability for a uh, machine to uh, make your creative messaging more powerful, that exists already. Um, so I, I'm, that's, you can't stop that, that will continue. But equally, you would, you would hope, and I can't see why this won't happen, that you'll have um, a, a partnership, a partnership between the humans and the, and the machines. Um, a partnership whereby the machines help the humans and vice versa. Um, it's interesting, you know, I, my daughter's a designer and um, I was showing her some of the, um, you know, online design, you know, you can go to what a logo joy, say something like that. And, and, you know, within a few clicks, you've got yourself the logo. And so Claudia goes on, you know, like sort of a, sort of a freak out. I said, no, 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 I, I actually think that what, what will happen is that you will use this as a tool. You use this as a tool to, to promote your thinking and to energize yourself and to, to enhance off the back of what a machine can do. So it's machine plus, which I think that we'll end up there, Narelle. I certainly hope that's where we go. It, it's quite interesting though, isn't it? If you get onto YouTube um, and type in, I think it's something like, um, uh, can a machine write poetry? Um, and you'll see that, yeah, a machine can write poetry. It's not awesome poetry, but it's early days, right? <laughs> Could just imagine. I'm look, I'd be better than what my husband can produce, let's be honest. And, so, and me, and me, for sure. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it from a machine. So my final question before we jump to audience questions is... Great, yeah. Um, uh, Josh Frydenberg actually announced that Australia is now in, officially in a recession. So often in times like this, businesses tend to cut back on their expenditure, especially around marketing costs. So what advice do you have for marketing teams around recession marketing? Okay, so there's what the textbook says and there's what the case studies say. And case studies from every downturn will tell you the market that doesn't invest during a downturn slingshots out of it better than, they, better than their competitors. Um, and the awesome thing is that you've got an opportunity to buy a share of voice. Um, there is a direct correlation between share of voice and share of market. So let's say, for example, you know, your, your business has got 10% market share um, and you've been operating a 10% share of voice. Um, you can utilise this time uh, to buy extra share of voice. And the, the other amazing thing is that media is cheaper. Right? So you can find a way to potentially even buy extra share of voice for less investment than, you know, the usual times. So that's what the textbook says. That's what the case studies say. That that is the reality. So every business does have an opportunity to slingshot out better. The other reality, of course, is that you have to cut costs, um, and so that that really makes it very tough. Uh, it makes it very tough for everyone. My suggestion is that you find a way to do your marketing. Um, it almost goes back to what you were asking a little earlier, Narelle, with regard to machines and people. The way, I like, the way I now look at it is that if, um, if your marketing supply chain is a five-storey building, um, and so say on the first floor is where you get stuff done at a relatively low cost and stuff that's just got to be done, and on the fifth floor is 
the high level creativity ideas and high level strategy. Um, what a lot of the bigger companies, they'll have suppliers on the first floor, the second floor, the third floor, the fourth floor, the fifth floor. I think what you ought to be looking at is how can we have fifth floor and basement? Yeah, so how can I get my marketing, let's call it that, um, faster, smarter, faster, cheaper, better? Um, that's a big mantra that's going on around the world of marketing right now. Um, yep, you've got to do that. If you're in business, you always have to find a more efficient way to go about business. But equally, you then need to have, let's call it the fifth floor. Like what's the high level? What's the, what's the great creative thinking, great strategic thinking? And if you can find a way to, if you can find a way to sort yourself out with a fifth floor in a basement, then I reckon you might win. You just That's got a great to, analogy. Thank you. You just got to go for it. Got to go for it. Yeah. And you know, you're right. We saw it definitely in the GFC as well um, when businesses swung back out and uh, the market was ticking back up. It was that the businesses that had stayed and maintained a presence and actually built on that were the ones that actually reaped the rewards. So it's really yeah. good advice. Yeah, and you know, every as I say, every single downturn tells you that the the businesses that do that win. You know, I mean, look, Procter and Gamble, best marketer, best business, hundred years of it. They've got a hundred years of experience, knowing that now's the time to go hard. Yeah. So, guys, if you're getting pressure from your executive to cut back on marketing budgets, what what I think another sort of important thing to think about is how do I how do I maintain my let's call it working media so if i'm spending 100 dollars in media and i'm spending 60 dollars not in media just in terms of like marketing other marketing stuff if i can and i've got to take i've got to take 30 out if i can get if i can keep my working media at 100 and turn that 60 into 30 then i'm doing the right thing by my brand in the end, you need working media. You need to present yourself to the consumer. Let's go back to the beginning, Narelle. Present yourself to the consumer in the right way, in the right fashion, with the right messaging. But you've got to maintain your working media. The other, the other pressure point here is that working media, it's the easiest number to cut because in the end, media is a variable expense. And a lot of the other expenses in marketing are more fixed. You have to have a look at your fixed expenses and you've got to try and keep your working media at a at a decent level. Thank you, Russell. I'm um, I'm going to jump to a couple of audience questions. Great. Now. So let me just have a look at them. They've come through um, on my, my mobile. So um, let's see, how do you think advertising strategies will change? Oh, we've sort of covered this one post-COVID. Um, let's jump to a different one. Will advertising methods that can't be measured accurately survive? So that sort of talks to this point, right? If you can't measure it, um, I, is it going to get the ax or what, what are your thoughts there? It, it always fascinates me around this one, so the, the measurement thing. The only thing that matters is sales. Yeah, so if you're spending money and your sales line's not doing the right thing, then you better find another way to do it. Yeah, so it's all measurable. It's all measurable. Yeah. So, and the more, the more sophisticated marketer, they'll talk about the long and the short of it. So um, getting your short-term, i.e. sales generation today spend versus your long-term, i.e. brand building spend. But again, you can absolutely measure brand health. And you know, so and is my brand held in high esteem? Is it differentiated? Is there knowledge? You know, your standard BAV metrics. Uh, it's all measurable. I just don't buy that it's not, it is. 
And Russell, we'll go to the question on storytelling because um, this is one of your areas of expertise, but people just want some tips. What essential resources would you recommend for someone to improve their storytelling um, capability? Great question. And you know, it's what I'm gonna say sounds so obvious and it's so simple, but um, it's really rare. You have to have an amazing writer or writers on your side. One of the skills which has actually left the industry um, in terms of, let's call it marketing supplier industry, advertising industry, not just ad people, but all marketing suppliers, writing skills has actually always been the fundamental. And over time, we've actually lost our way when it comes to those skills. Um, it is possible to read uh, beautiful copywriting and simply buy off the page. We just don't see it very, very much these days. Um, uh, Genuinely, what I'd be doing if I had a, if I, when I say I, I mean like everyone that's on this webcast, if I had a feel for writing, if I felt that that was something that I should pursue, the opportunity to double down on that, to really get yourself really well educated around what makes for good writing, good writing in a romantic sense as much as good writing in a commercial sense, the opportunity right there is massive. It's unbelievable what you could do through just great writing. Everything else is peripheral, right? So if you just think about back to Netflix, the, the best shows on Netflix are the best because they've got the best writing. It's all about, it's all about writing. It, advertising, advertising gets clunky when the writing's clunky. To stick to the basics, great copywriting. Literally read David Ogilvy and David Ogilvy tells you how to do it, read it. <laughs> I know people were asking for tips on um, what they could pick up and have a look through. So make sure you get onto that one, guys. Yeah, just uh, there's so many, so many books, so many books over so many decades written about copywriting. Yeah. Now I, I, I'm going to bet that there hasn't been a book written for ten years, probably more, on the art of copywriting. But every decade prior to that, tons of them. Get those. Go to the library. Do something traditional, like go to the library and get out a copy, how to write copy, and get into it and enjoy it. That's where there's so much beauty in beautifully written copy. And Russ, what are your thoughts on um, being able to, we, we had a couple of different questions. We, we had one, how do you write for a, a younger audience if you're not getting cut through? And another one was how do I um, write for a 55 plus audience? So we're seeing yep. this cross-generational divide. Do you have any tips yep. around generational writing? Well, I actually, yeah, I, 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 I actually think that, um, generational writing writers is really important um, i think it is very tough for a 55 year old to write for a 25 year old yeah um not so tough for a 35 year old to write for a 25 year old right? so when when briefing it's one of those ones when i was growing up in the advertising world i thought it was nonsense you know that you had to sort of cast your writing in order to you cast the writer uh in order to get the right messaging for the product that was targeted at a particular audience. I, I, I have to say, I always thought that was nonsense. Um, but as time has gone on, Narelle, I don't think that is nonsense. I think that, yeah, um, understanding your audience, understanding what they think is funny, you know, what, what, what a 25-year-old thinks is funny um, is unlikely to be known by a 55-year-old. So, yeah, I do think that there is a really interesting nuance in that and we should pursue casting our marketing suppliers to suit the problem at hand. 
Russell, one final question before we wrap up. Um, we do have a number of people who are in small to medium enterprises, um, really small business, so maybe don't have the number of personnel that um, would fill all of these roles. Any tips for small business on what they can do to be impactful? Uh, I'm going to say the obvious, Narelle, get a writer. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm consistent with this. Um, if, you know, I wrote a book a few years ago and one of the, one of the sections around that was just get yourself writers, you know. It's just, honestly, it's everything, you know. So we, we, we've got the power of social media now, yes. Now social media, we're surrounded by it continuously. Um, good writing will cut through. Wonderful, thank you. Well, I know that we're coming up to time. So um, I just wanted to thank you. Thank you for your time, Russell. I know you, you've traveled all the way to Byron for a little bit of a break. Oh, good. So thank you again, Russell. It was an absolute delight. Thanks, Narelle. And thanks everyone for getting on the webinar. And I'm just looking at all these people um, on the stream, you know, they're typing in thank you um, and they appreciate it. So thank you very much for your thanks. The Pickle was brought to you by RMIT Online. Change the way you think about learning. We have. Study short courses and full degrees online on your terms. Head to online.rmit.edu.au to find out more.